I, do you guys remember your first car that you you ever had? Uh, was it was it like an awesome car? These, these kids, and, and if this is true of you, I'm not making fun of anybody in the room, but these kids who like their first car, they're 16 years old, and they get like a 2022 anything. Honestly, uh, it it just it blows my mind. I, I don't know how how they do it. Uh, my my first car, and maybe yours too, was was a hoopty. It, it was rough. Uh, it was a 1989 black Nissan Sentra. Uh, it got hot as the surface of the sun every summer, uh, and and it, it ran good mechanically. It was it was a fine car. It was sound. Uh, I know that because my grandfather, who went with me to the car lot, like you know, he test drove and he looked under the hood. I'm, I'm 16. I knew nothing about cars, but the thing was mechanically fine. But but maybe maybe this is true of your vehicles. Uh, over time, the thing that was mechanically sound just sort of like it, it hits a bump and a thing doesn't work right anymore and then like this other thing and the, the, the sensor goes out and eventually like you have mechanical problems, right? Isn't that, isn't that a weird uh, truth about all things in this world? They start out fine and then they sort of, uh, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't, if you neglect it, if you don't do the service that's required, it, it sort of sort of goes out of the way. I think, I, I was thinking about it as I was preparing to talk so I didn't look this up so science nerds, forgive me if I get it wrong, but I think that's the second law of thermodynamics, isn't it? Isn't that the law of entropy, that, that things tend to move not, not from chaos to order, they move from order into chaos. Here's just a, an example of that. Um, zero people in the world have woken up after just you know, neglecting their bodies and accidentally had a six-pack. Am I right? Like you don't, you know, it's like, I don't know, I wasn't watching what I was eating and I was, ex- I was exercising too much. I don't know. And then boom, like, and then you flex and you have a six pack. You never drift to the six pack, right? You drift towards the one pack, you know, uh, because entropy is what it is. You move into chaos, not order. And vehicles, you know, my, my car, it, it had problems. My, my Sentra, uh, at one point I hit a bump too hard. I didn't think it was too hard, but it was so hard that the passenger side window no longer stayed up. And so it was like one of those roll top windows. It it was just like, and just the window slams down. And so I'm 16. I did the only thing you need to do to fix the car. I just took the door panel off and I put a two by four and it held the window up. You couldn't roll the window down, but you know, it also didn't rain in the vehicle. Uh, you know, I had other things where it would just like sputter around and I would try to figure out how to fix it. Um, at one point I'm in a rack and the airbag doesn't go off. And I find out the reason the airbag didn't go off is because it in fact did not have an airbag. It was just an empty compartment when I ripped the, the, the thing off. And so being 16 and and it's just a clunker anyway. Uh, my my parents, my grandparents as well. They're like, you, so, you just have to figure out how to work on the car. You've you've got to work on it. And and I don't I don't know much about cars. Uh, and so I've, I've got to learn. And so after some trial and error and asking, you know, some mechanic relatives enough questions where they're tired of answering them, someone told me about this book that you can go buy. It's, it's wild. Uh, I don't know if you know this. this. is going to be, if you already know about it, you're like, well, yes, of course, that's what you should have done. But if you don't know this, this is going to change the way you look at your vehicle. If you go to the auto parts store, you go into their book section, you look up your year and your model. There is a Haynes manual on how to repair your vehicle. You have a problem with your vehicle. You just turn to the page and it says it may be one of these four things. And you're like, well, it's not that one. It's not that one. Probably that one. Definitely not that one. It's number three. And then you turn to page, whatever it is. And it tells you step-by-step the tools that you need, what you need to work on, what you need to look for, what you need to watch out for. Make sure you have the grease to cut the, you know, and you have the thing. Uh, Make sure you have the, the, the number 10 socket, which nobody has anymore. Uh, make sure you have this and make sure you have a pan to catch the, the thing that's going to drip. And if you follow the instructions of the Haynes manual for your 1989 Sentra or whatever vehicle you have in your driveway, you can repair just about anything if you have enough patience and you don't mind knocking your knuckles around and you spend a few hours because you didn't have the tool and you have to go borrow the torque wrench. 
all of those things being what they are, the information is there if you want it. What I have found, uh, and now I, I have been pastoring a grand total of 14 months now. Okay, so just take it for what it is. I don't have a ton of history on that lead pastoring. I guess, I guess if you count all the pastoring youth, okay, I'm shortchanging. Anyway, uh, I could be wrong about what I'm about to say, but, but here, here's what I found is that in, in being in, in conversations with people when, when they have a, a question, a spiritual question, uh, sometimes it's in counseling relationships, sometimes it's just like uh, I hear something and I, I move in and I ask a question. What I found is that I'm usually not talking to people who aren't saved or who aren't Christians. I'm talking to saved people. I'm talking to Christians. That's why, that's why they trust my input. You know, like the average person doesn't come to me to ask me mechanical questions because I'm not a mechanic. But they do come to me for spiritual questions, and so I'll talk to them. And what I'll find is usually what we're discussing is the problem isn't something new that they've never learned before. It's not usually something new that you need to learn and you need to submit to this new teaching. It's going to be something old that if you just like had a maintenance manual, if you could just open it up to the right page and look at it, it would, it would make total sense. You would know how to address it in your own life, in your own family, in your own relationship and walk with the Lord. And so what I want to do today, uh, that may or may not become a series. I think if you're online, I think it says week one. I'm actually 50-50. This may be week one and only, uh, but we may have week two of a tune up next week. Is that I want to, I want to like look at our Christian lives as a potential for tune-up. I think that there are people who've been following the Lord for one year, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, a ton of years, that somewhere along the way, like things just, there's a little knock, you know? And if you, if you drove your car to the mechanic and you're like, I hear a noise, and they're like, it's the number six piston misfiring. You're like, how'd you know that? They just know, right? When sometimes when we open up the word and you're like, I, I just feel this I feel this uh, sorrow. I feel this grief that I just can't get over. I feel, I feel discontent. That's a big one. Like every, everybody under 25 years old is just like, I'm just discontent with the world. Okay. Well, let's look at the discontentment. Maybe it's something knocking in the engine. Maybe there's nothing wrong with your salvation. Maybe, maybe there's something about your faith that we can just like look at and reevaluate and, and consider. So I want to try that today, uh, and I want to look at a, a group of passages in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, turn to the book of Romans. Um, I would encourage you to turn in your own Bible to the book of Romans. And this is going to be uh, more or less a modification of something that's been called the Romans Road. So if you've been around church a long time, you may have heard the Romans Road. Uh, and the, 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 essentially, it's this. It's, it's about five or six very short verses, easy to find, that explains the gospel. So I want to talk to... Uh, I'm going I'm to talk to three groups of people in this room right now. First group of per- people. Uh, this is the person who's just kind of super curious about the faith, maybe has some questions, not yet a follower of Jesus. And you're like, well, what is the gospel? Today, we're going to look at about five or six verses that are going to be a very simple explanation of the gospel from beginning to end. Uh, it, there, there's more that we can talk about, but that's why there's 66 books of the Bible. We're going to be very brief on it. So if you, have, if you have questions about what the gospel is or like, okay, that's the point. Like it's part three of what you just said, Jesse that's the one that I'm hanging up on, and you would like to ask questions about it, this gives you the framework to do it. So the first group of people would be anybody who's just not sure about Christianity. The second is this. I want to talk to anybody who's been following the Lord for a minute, and like you remember early on you were following the Lord, and there was all this newness, right? You, you learned a new thing. You, you had a new step of obedience. You're like, did you know Like there are four Gospels? And you're just like, your mind is blown. Like Everything is so exciting to you when you're new to the faith, right? And you remember that newness, but if you had to be honest, like you're kind of on this plateau and, and every time you, you're like, I'm ready to do a thing. I just, like, what am I supposed to do now? 
it, I'll, I'll tell you the answer. The short answer is it's not something new. It's going to be something you already knew. And it's, it's going to be like getting back to the basics of the gospel and like, let's, let's put that back in our heart. Let's put that back in our lives. Let's walk in that truth for a season. So if, if you're the second group of people, if you're like, I've been following the Lord for a while, but I'm on this plateau and I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what's next. If I'm honest, if I had to be honest, I'm a little bored with my walk right now. Then I want to look at some of the basics like we would in a Haynes manual and see if we can't figure out where, where the misfire is and what we can address. Maybe, maybe find a new thing uh, or a, an old thing to, to celebrate. The third group of people, and this I think maybe everybody else, is going to be the group of people who it's not about your faith. Like you're, you're pretty confident in your faith. You're not on a plateau. You're excited still. What you want is a way to talk to other people about it. You, you feel maybe uh, you feel uh, overwhelmed with the idea of talking about Jesus to a friend because like what if they ask you about transubstantialism and you can't even spell it, much less even know what it is? Okay, okay, let's not overcomplicate it. If you want to explain the gospel to someone, then you can you can follow what we're going to call the Romans road. It's a, a modified it a little bit. You can you just make notes in your Bible, like okay, I'm going to talk about this verse, and then after we after we answer some questions, and what verse do I go to next? In my Bible, in all honesty, I'm, I am a, a pastor on a stage. In my Bible, I have the verses marked right here, so that whenever I read this verse and I want to know like where would I go next? Oh, I remember that talk. Oh, it goes to this verse. Then when I turn to that, it's in the margin saying from here go here. It really is like a map, like to get through the book of Romans. So if you have your own Bible, uh, I would recommend that you consider doing that. You underline a verse and you make a little note of where to go next so that you know how to have that conversation or you feel, maybe not know how to, but you feel more empowered. You feel less overwhelmed by it. Okay. Does that sound good? I think that's three groups. Uh, If there's a fourth group in here, you know, I don't know, just buy me dinner later and we'll figure out what I should have said to you. Uh, let's look at, at this. Uh, I want to I wanna, uh, look at Romans. Uh, we'll be in chapter 3, and we're going to look at Romans 3.23. So chapter 3, verse 23 is the beginning of the Romans road. So as far as your memory goes, if you're trying to remember how to have this conversation later, uh, just remember 3.23, Romans 3.23. If you can just keep those two numbers you and you keep the notes there, you can follow along all the way through. What is it when we say the gospel? What, what does it mean to be a follower? of Jesus. What is, the, what is the message of the gospel? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is not new message. I think, I think everybody who even heard about a church is like, yeah, you're always like shaking your finger at the sinners. But I, I want to I highlight a word right here. Uh, who, who is it that sinned? Those people, right? For those people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's what it says. No, 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 it doesn't say that. For those Republicans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you are like, no, it's the Democrats. No, it doesn't say that either, okay? Uh, it, it doesn't say those people. It doesn't say those color people. It doesn't say those people who make a certain income. It doesn't even say those people who are needle and bulldogs or PNG Indians. It doesn't say that. It says all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is incredibly important truth, is that none of us have the right to look God in the eye and say, God, you owe me, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've been following Jesus for a while, sometimes there's this, uh, this, this thing, I don't, I don't know what it's called, pride maybe, uh, uh, bitterness, where, where we forget the taste of our own sin. We forget what we were forgiven of, and then we walk around. I'm saying we, because, because I feel it in my heart sometimes too. We walk around wagging our finger at others who should quote-unquote know better, and we forget we've all sinned. 
We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the measurement by which, like just the, the gospel presentation, the measurement is this, is that the glory of God is the standard by which all other things are measured. Uh, I've, I've not sinned because I've fallen short of your glory. Like, man, you are such a better person than me. The way you handled that, I would have said so many other four-letter words, and I can't believe you, you handled yourself that way. And so we tend to measure ourselves against other people's glory, but that's not the measurement, that's not the measuring stick that is put on us. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's just this truth is that the, the glory of God is the measurement. Perfection is the measurement by which all other creation is measured up against. And when we stand up against that, it's like going to Schlitterbahn and you don't, you're not tall enough to ride the ride. You carried your inner tube all the way to the sign and you stand there and you're 41 inches, right? We've all st- stood up to the glory of God and none of us measure up. And we need to, we need to remember that. This isn't, this isn't about being guilty. This isn't about walking around and like, oh, I left church feeling bad about my sins. It's not that. It's remembering because, because, uh, I think it's, this just popped in my head. Uh, I think it was Oswald Chambers. He had a quote and it says, uh, till my sin be bitter, Christ be not sweet. The reason why we don't celebrate the goodness of who Christ is is because we're forgetting how bitter our sin is, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the next verse is like the back end of the gospel. If that's the beginning, the, the end of the gospel is the next verse. It says, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a problem. And we'll look at that problem here in a second. But the end of the gospel, those of us who are followers of Jesus, says that we're justified by his grace. Oh, yeah, I got some grace. I earned his grace. No. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. That word gift and grace go side by side all through the New Testament. This idea that God would look down on us and would save anyone who don't measure up, who haven't earned it, we all have to say, thank you. Merry Christmas to me. That's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So let's, let's unpack it. If that's the bookends, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but those of us who are justified by his grace as a gift and there's redemption in Christ Jesus. What's in between? Like, what does that look like? The next step on the Romans road is Romans 3.10. If you want to write that in your margin, Romans 3.10 and 11, you can look at that. It's in the same chapter, backing up a little bit. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None is righteous. We didn't measure up, and it turns out we don't have the skills, we don't have the equipment, we don't have the, the horsepower to measure up. None of us are righteous. It would, it would be like me taking my Nissan Sentra and I'm going to go put it in a drag race. It doesn't even have the engine in it capable to get, most likely get off the starting line, but definitely not to compete in a drag race. None are righteous. Is like we, we don't have perfection to start out with. And then verse 11 says, no one understands, no one seeks God. And so at the beginning of this idea of sin, and we'll look at that here in a moment, but at the beginning of it is, is this brokenness. We're not, we're not measuring up. Uh, none of us are righteous. And it says that none of us seek God. None of us understands that, that, that one, of the, one of the basic truths of the Bible is that our thinking, our ability to think has been corrupted by this problem. That we don't understand the, the root of our problem. That's why, because we don't define the problem well, we don't define the solution well. We, we run to the wrong solutions as a society, as individuals. We run to the wrong solution because we think our problem is different. We think our problem is, uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good looking enough. Uh, people, people don't like me. I'm too shy around people. I have all this pain. We think that our problems are this. Those aren't the problems. Those are just symptoms of the problem. 
And so because we define the problem wrong, we run to the wrong solution. And at the beginning of the Romans road, it says that our understanding has been corrupted. No one understands. Here's, here's a truth uh, of, of Scripture, and this, this, this blows my mind every time it crosses my head. Um, there is enough evidence for the existence of God outside of the Bible that we could come to the conclusion that God exists. That's written in the Bible, and it's also been proven. Like People are like, I don't know. I just see order. I look at DNA. It looks like a language. It looks like a code. It look, like There's too much order in this world for there not to be a creator. There's enough evidence for the creator God that you could come to that conclusion without anyone telling you. However, there is not enough evidence for you to know what to do with that. There's not enough evidence for you to to just spontaneously come up with the idea that Jesus loves you, that God sent Jesus to this world for you. You don't have that outside of God just saying, look, your understanding is corrupt, but I'm going to paint it, I'm going to give it to you in very plain language. No one understands and no one seeks God apart from him seeking us. So, so the beginning of the gospel is that, that we, we've fallen short, and those of us who are Christians, we just need to be reminded, like, yeah, yeah, we've fallen short. The second part of the Romans road is, like, none of us are righteous. So, so Christian, your righteousness isn't because of how great you are, how well you follow the rules, or what, even what your church attendance is. Your righteousness, just like we sang, is wholly and completely dependent upon the completion of the cross, the completion of Jesus on the cross. That, that's where our righteousness is. He's, he's handed us our righteousness. And no one understands and no one seeks God. The problem isn't that they're not thinking right. The problem is, is that they can't. Uh, we, have a, we have a ton of educators in the room and schools just now getting started. And, and I, I just want to say, like, if you, if, you have, um, if you have a kid in your classroom that has like a 130 IQ and you teach a math lesson and they don't get it, you may say things like, well, you just weren't paying attention or, you know, let, let me try one, one more time. But, but you, there's that. But if you have a kid who has 70 IQ and you give the math lesson and they don't get it and you give the lesson again, they don't get it. And you give the lesson again, they don't get it. You don't point to them and say, you're the problem. They, they, it's, it's, it's medical. Like, it's a 70 IQ, right? They, they don't, they need, they need some intervention and, and good educators will meet them where they're at, but you don't, you don't wag your finger at them, do you? Except those jerk teachers, you know, we don't have any of those who go to church here. The, the same is true here is that, that if, when we leave this room, and maybe even some in this room, when we leave this room and we're surrounded by people who aren't followers of Jesus and you, you think to yourself, oh, you just don't understand. You're just ignorant. That's cruel. Listen, Christian, we, we should not be out there wagging our fingers at sinners who sin or pigs who oink. It's just the nature of who we are is that we don't have the ability to understand aside from redemption, aside from sanctification, aside from God doing a work in us to open our eyes up to the cross. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. So what do we do with that? The next step uh, on the Romans road is Romans 6.23. So in my Bible, it's just uh, like two pages over. Like, what's the big deal with sin? Because, because we say things, of course, we've all sinned, right? We, we, we say things like, well, listen, I'm not perfect. Yeah, that's the same as saying we've all sinned. We say things like, look, I'm just human, right? Of course, I lost my temper. Yeah, the, we've all sinned. But what's the big deal? Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the big deal. You know, it's, it's death. It's, it's corruption. This is from the very beginning. 
all the way in Genesis, like, hey, don't eat that fruit or you will surely die, all the way in there. And it's just been said over and over again. And we've seen it borne out and true. There's physical death. There are sins that you can do that like immediately after you have just like fallen over dead. And that's just like really, really terrible, dumb stuff to do. But there are other sins and it has different kinds of death involved with them. Like like you, you can sin in such a way that there are deaths of relationships, right? Where the person is still alive, but the relationship is so broken and so fractured, it, it can't be put back together. There, there are deaths of, of, of trust where, where corruption is, in, yeah, and you see this in like governments and institutions and stuff, that, that there's all this corruption and, and because of sin, you see the corruption and it gets bigger and bigger and then eventually you just take a step back and there's, there's a death to it. It says the wages of sin is death. And, and this, this is like a, a rot that's in our soul. The, the problem isn't that you've fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, the problem is that by falling short of the glory of God, we have rot, we have death in our soul, and, and God's not satisfied in just leaving us in that case. So though you probably, if you've heard this verse at all, you've heard someone say, it's an interesting word that he uses, wages. It's not the consequence of sin is death, right? It's the wages of sin is death. Have you ever, have you ever uh, uh, kick, kicked your, your, your wall, I don't know, kick, kicked a brick wall or something, hurt your toe? That's called a natural consequence, okay? This isn't, this isn't a consequence thing. This is, this is an earned wage. This is the idea of someone's like, I've, out, I've been out there, I've been sinning from 8 to 5 p.m., and I need to get what's coming to me. And what's coming to me, Jesse, Bible says is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, what I'm going to earn with, what I'm going to earn with my own work is death. But what I can receive for free without any work is a gift that is life. And so we, we've got this, this idea of death that comes in and it occurs to me, uh, you guys watch prison shows? Like locked up, stuff like that. Oh my gosh, man. Like there was a season, which we'll watch it every now and then, but there was a season in my family that like that was all we watched for like, like if the TV's on, we're watching locked up, locked up abroad. We're watching like, this is what it's like if you get arrested in the Mexican cartels and you know, whatever. And, and there's this whole culture in prison, you know, there's like a whole world in prison. They are the condemned ones. But if you walk into there, if you are another inmate next to them, you don't get to point your finger at the person next to you and be like, you murderer, I can't stand you. You, you IRS tax, you know, skipper. I don't know what, what crimes there are. I'm such a good criminal. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, they don't they don't wag their finger at each other for the crimes that put them there. What they have is an entirely different system of beliefs in that prison. There's different currency. There's different ways that you can act that get you respect and lose you respect. Like things that are socially acceptable outside of prison are not acceptable in prison. Like saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I stepped on your toe," or. I don't know. Uh, can I help you with that? No, you're weak, right? But if you're in prison, things that are completely acceptable in prison are not acceptable at all right here. You uh, cut me off in the grocery store so I, you know, attack you in the broccoli aisle. I don't know. Like, like if you disrespect someone in prison, you get it like a week later, you know? And, that's, and you ask them like, why? You know, this is just how things are in, in prison. The wages of sin is death. It's like this, it's like a, a room full of people that are on death row. And, and the way of life on death row is different than the way of life when you're free on the outside. And we can say that today as Americans who are sitting in freedom, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're sitting in a church right now. We're not in prison. We're not in chapel at a prison. But the wages of sin is death. And, and since all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, it is a default position of this packed death row building where the rules 
don't make sense outside the walls, but they make a ton of sense inside the, the death row. It's why people who are just living in their, in their sin, living in their guilt, they can hurt like nobody's business. And, and it doesn't bother them to hurt another person, uh, to say mean things or to, to act out. Why? Because pigs oink and ducks quack and sinners sin. When, when we are, when we're unredeemed and we, 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 we're on death row, the wages of sin is death. Like we're, we're just living in that. That's what we swim in. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're a follower for a while, let's, for the tune-up purpose of this message, if you're a follower of that, it, it is a, a healthy reminder to periodically review some of the sins that you've been forgiven of. You don't have to do it publicly. Like, don't post it on Facebook. That's nonsense. Uh, but it, it is healthy for you to just sit back. It's kind of the old saying, like, count your blessings, you know? Like, just sit down and be like, what, is, what work has the Lord done in me? Oh, I did do that. Oh my, I can't believe they didn't catch that one. If they called that one, I wouldn't know. Oh, he forgave me of that? And to just kind of recount that. For some of us, it would be helpful for us to remember like that was leading to death. I'm so glad I didn't get what was coming to me. That was going to be a problem if, if God let that continue into my adulthood. That would have become an addiction that would have just swamped me. I have no idea why the hooks didn't set in me. That would have got me. Oh, I was addicted, but I've been redeemed from that. I, like, I no longer have that craving. Uh, it's, good, it's good to remember that. Listen, for the tune-up purpose of this message, it would be good for some of you to remember the sins that were leading to death. For some others, though, uh, you spend too much time remembering. Some of us in here, we spend so much time just feeling guilty about our sins, feeling guilty for things that we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's the script that has been going in your head. Uh, whenever you don't have control of your thoughts, you know what psychologists call that, right? When your thoughts are racing, they just keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's called anxiety. And it's just like you're, you're, you are condemning yourself. You, you are declaring of yourself a, a, a death sentence over and over and over again as a follower of Jesus who's already been forgiven of it. What you may need instead of remembering the sins that you've been forgiven of is the, if we can go back to the verses, the second part of that verse it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You, you need to remember that, that what Jesus did on the cross is like him going through the court system to get you out of death row. You've been pardoned of your sin. And you walk out and you're like, but I really did do that thing that put me in death row. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I'm a really, really good lawyer with really, really deep pockets. And I really paid that price. Please walk in freedom. We need to remember that it's the free gift of God. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we're walking with a gift that we didn't earn, that's forgiven us of the things that we did earn, so that we don't walk in death, but we walk in life. That's Romans 6.23. I'm glad that's still up there because I forgot where I was. Uh, next, after, after Romans 6.23, if you're making notes, the next verse you want to go back to is Romans 5.8. How did Jesus accomplish this? Like, what, what is it that he did or ha- could do to get this job done? Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. And God looks down and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price. This is, this is recorded not just here. The entire book of 1 John is about how Jesus paid this price. That while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So the payment is accomplished in Christ. Why did he have to die? Because the wages of sin is death, and somebody has to pay for Jesse's sins. And the grace of God is that he says, I'm not going to force you to pay for it if you accept my gift. I'm going to let my son pay for it if you accept Jesus. 
While Jesse was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That's bonkers, right? And it, this, this is helpful. If, if you're considering Christianity, if, if you've just kind of been knocking it around, or I don't know, maybe you have a friend who is, and, and here's what they say, like, I hear what you're saying. I love what you're saying. I'm going to be all about that, but I've got to get some things right first. I've got, I've got to, you know, I've got to, you know, get my mouth cleaned up and I've got to, you know, I've got to, I've got to maybe stop this habit, stop this addiction. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to be nicer to my kids and then I'll go to church and then I'll accept all these things. I think what you're saying is great. I believe everything you're saying. Okay. Listen very carefully. Not when Jesse got his act together, Christ died for me, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's an old hymn, just come as you are. You come in here broken, completely disillusioned with the world. You're, you see all the corruption and all the institution. You're just angry at the world. You come in here uh, uh, with pain and hurt and grief. You can come in here mad at God for all I care. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For, for the tune-up in the room, um, we need to remember this when we're working with our friends, when we're talking to our friends, our, 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 especially our lost friends. Maybe they're, they're hostile towards God. It's okay. You don't, you don't have to like, ask them to act in a way that's not according to them, but same for you. Like, they don't need to ask you to act in a way that is in contrary to your convictions either. And just know that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, and then, and then we're sent as what? We're sent as missionaries into a world. We don't need them to act right. Teachers, do you need your students to act right before you teach them? No. Why? Because they're there and they're your students and God entrusted you with them, right? Uh, em- employers, employers, people who have employees under you. Do you expect uh, all of your people to act 100% uh, or you're going to fire them on the spot? No, like people come in with a bad day and you're just like, I'll, I'll meet you where you're at. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so in return, listen, Christian, we can just meet people where they're at. They can, they can vote wrong. You know what I'm saying? They, they, can, they, can, they can have really wrong thoughts about who God is and you still love them. Because there was a day where you had really wrong thoughts about who God was, and he still loved you. And you were wrong about these 10 things, but you got the cross right, and you trusted Jesus, and you confessed them, and then you learned how wrong you were about those 10 things later. He didn't ask you to get the 10 things right before he saved you, did he? Neither should we ask the people to get everything right about theology before we show up in their life, before we're, we're, before we're committed to them, before we're doing life with them. I'm running low on time. Uh, the end of the Romans road uh, is Romans 10.9, if you want to turn to that. What do you do? Like, if you hear the message, okay, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and no one understands, no, not one. We, we have a problem with the understanding, but, but the free gift of God is, is that we're justified, and it's grace, and it's a gift. What do I do if I'm right on the cusp? Like, how do I move from loss to being a Christian? Romans 10.9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a magic formula. Uh, You don't need to, to, to recite a certain prayer. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is, he's Lord, you're not. You, you repent, you're like, I'm going to do things your way. Uh, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe that these words are true, that he really is alive and he really is there. Then you are saved. That is the function of being saved. Uh, the next verse says this, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's, a, there's an element to this that is a little public, okay? There's, there's not a ton of private confessions of Jesus. There's an element of this of, like, tell someone, right? Talk to somebody. Talk to a trusted friend who loves the Lord and loves you. 
Romans 10.9 is, is where the plane lands. And so for the end of the tune-up, uh, I've added this. It's not technically part of Romans Road, but you, know, you can add it. It's Romans 8.1. I would invite you to turn there, make that note in your Bible, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. There's a death row sentence for those, those of us who are outside of Christ Jesus. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, and if you've been following him for five minutes, five years, 50 years, it doesn't matter, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what your mother-in-law says about you. I, I don't care what you say about you when you look in the mirror. I don't care what you feel when you wake up because you had bad pizza the night before and your tummy's like kind of rumbling. You're just like, huh. And you feel condemned and you're mad about how you treated people. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can walk with your head up because the God creator of the universe is not condemning you. He buried condemnation on Jesus. He condemned sin is what Romans 8 will go on to say. Sin was condemning us and God's like, no, I got you sin and condemned sin. The next verse, it won't be on the screen. Uh, it just popped in my head. It says, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin put me on death row. God didn't, didn't just show up and like blow a hole in the side of the prison. It's like, come on, breakout time. He went through the legal system. He went as a lawyer and he advocated for me. He's like, there's a, there's a payment required for Jesse to be free. And he pays it. Why? Because I'm not an escaped felon walking around prison. I'm someone who formerly used to be on death row and now walks as a free man because Christ has redeemed me. I'm going to ask the, the band to, to come back up. We're going to end today a little different. Um, it, se- it seems to me uh, that, that whether you're here for a tune-up or you're here just to, just to ask some questions. Maybe you want to respond to the gospel for the first time, or you're just like, I just need a a space to think through this passage. It seems to me that that we need to have time and space to respond. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray here in a moment, and then the band is going to lead us in a a worship song, a song that we sang earlier, speaking these truths back over us. And I I would invite you to reflect on that. I would invite you to, to think like, which one of those steps are you hung up on, Plateau Christian? Like, where would the tune-up like actually be, and, and can, can I help? Uh, if, if you want to pray in your seat, uh, do that. If you want to stand and belt out the song as loud as you can, off-key even, uh, you know, don't do it on purpose, do it. If you, Listen, this is Carpenter's Way. I don't, I don't know if we've ever done this, but I, I remember going to old Baptist churches, and there was like, people come kneel at the quote-unquote altar. We don't have a thing that we call an altar. We have a stage, and if it would help your mind focus on who the Lord is and what he's accomplished in you so that you, believer, can live the truth, that there is no condemnation over you anymore because of Christ, not because of you and not because of what you feel. If you want to focus that as a prayer at the stage, you can do that. If you want to just come talk to me, you can do that. But after, after the worship time, after we close in song, uh, you'll be, we'll pray and we'll just be dismissed from that. Pray with me. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the truths of the word. And we're so sorry that in our understanding and in our, in our ways of thinking, we lose track of you, who you are and your truth. Father, correct in us any wrong thinking. Father, bust through the barriers that are keeping us from walking in truth this morning. May we, uh, as followers of you, walk with our heads up without condemnation and without condemning others. Father, may those of us who are just like, uh, you're just asking questions. We don't know that we're ready to follow you yet. Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would laser folks, that you would zero in on what piece of this isn't making sense and, and who can I ask? Lord, we give you this time to do whatever you want in our hearts.
because we're willing and we're thankful for the gift that you've given us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.